Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange Podcast. Stories by leaders for leaders to help you raise the bar on your own excellence to release the potential inside of you. Now, here's today's podcast. <clears throat> Greetings, this is Hugh Blue. We are live with the nonprofit chat and you may be listening this on our to this on our podcast called the Nonprofit Exchange. <clears throat> Russell and I are here again. You've heard us on this before. Today, we've got a guest that will bring a lot of energy to a number of topics tonight. And David Corbin is is a friend of ours, and we've known each other for a number of years. And David, this is the first time we've had a live interview, so welcome and thank you for being here. My pleasure. I'm, I'm happy to be a live interview. I hope the other ones weren't dead. What are you trying to say here? <laughs> You're a live one. You're a live one, man. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> I like guests to start out by telling people something interesting about yourself. You know, why do you do what you're doing? And what is your background that gave you the, I, the few times that you and I have had some deep conversations, I've been really impressed with the depth and breadth of the wisdom that you have on these topics that you talk about. So give us a little um, paragraph or two about David Corbin. Who are you and what's brought you to where you are today? Hmm. Well, uh, I'm a human being. I'm not a speaker. I'm not an author. Uh, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a, I'm a human being. And I play the role of a uh, keynote speaker and an inventor and, uh, and a mentor. Uh, and so I'm a, I'm a guy who loves life. And uh, I'm, uh, what can I say? If there's a way, as I did yesterday, I had a client uh, fly up from Mexico. We spent a full day in my mentoring. And the objective, the overall objective was for him to be happy, healthy, prosperous, and the like. And, um, and so I'm a guy who likes to do that and likes to be that to the extent as I continue to learn and grow, I can be that. And, you know, I, I do all those things. Yeah, I, I love, as you know, you've, you've been in my audience. I've been in yours. I love to share ideas from the platform. I love to consult with corporations at the highest levels and then solopreneurs. And I love to run my 5K every Saturday. And I love to play tennis. <laughs> and I love to hang out in my backyards. I'm looking out there and I've got chickens running around and I got a turtle in my pool and life is groovy. And you're in <clears throat> San Diego, California. I am home of Tony Gwynn, the, the famous Padre. And today I was honored to be invited to the unveiling of his statue in our little town here. I was also with his family at Cooperstown at the Baseball Hall of Fame as he was inducted with Cal Ripken. Uh, so, yes, I'm in Southern California, San Diego, and the town's called P-O-W-A-Y Poway. Love it, love it. The um, <clears throat> first time we met, we were in Lake Las Vegas, and you had just published Illuminate. You're not an author, but you write some really profound stuff. And you were actually wearing a coat and tie, a suit, actually, that day. Yeah. So um, what inspired you to write that book, and what's Illuminate about? Well, I'll tell you what it's about. It's about facing the reality of situations in our life and our business. You see, I've read the literature, the positive mental attitude literature, and I've had the honor of meeting Dr. Norman Vincent Peale and, and, and some of the amazing luminaries in positive mental attitude. In fact, I'm honored to be in the latest Think and Grow Rich book, uh, Three Feet from Gold. But nowhere in that literature that I've read does it say we should ignore negative issues, that we should push them under the carpet, as it were. Uh, and so I came to realize that my most successful clients and the most successful consulting engagements I ever had were with individuals who had the courage to face those issues, not just accentuate the positive, as the song goes, you know, you've got to accentuate the positive, but rather than eliminate the negative, I learned the key is to illuminate the negative in a model that I call face it, follow it, and fix it. So that's what Illuminate's about. And it came from the realization from practical experience, whether it's a nonprofit or a for-profit 
or a for-profit who doesn't intend to be a nonprofit but ends up that way, um, no, matter, no matter who it is, the individuals who have the courage and the character to face the problems head on, that's what I found to be the greatest model, and hence the title of the book, Illuminate, Harnessing the Positive Power of Negative Thinking. What I can count on when we're having conversations is the words coming out of your mouth are not nearly what I'm going to expect from anyone because David Corbin is one of the most creative people I have ever met. Um, I'm remembering we were at CO space introducing ourselves one time and um, one person said they were a consultant and then you came along, you said, I'm a insultant. And then I came along, I said, I'm a resultant. And your head went whoosh like that. <laughs> so at least one time I went up to you. <laughs> it's on my website now. It's on my website and there's an asterisk and it says right down at the bottom, it says Maestro Hugh Ballou, uh, comma, genius extraordinaire. It says it right there. Let's be clear. The word is asterisk. Yeah, like you said, I just don't want people to misinterpret that word. <laughs> well, I am honored, David Corbin. I have not seen that. But, uh, uh, <clears throat> you know, a resultant in a pipe organ is a pipe that's not as long, like a 16-foot pipe has a certain pitch, but you don't mm -hmm. have space. So they, they miter it, and the resultant is a lower tone from a shorter, a shorter pipe. So we actually create a bigger result without having to be bigger ourselves or you know we we can amplify the sound by what we do so you and i um i love this illuminate and uh two weeks ago i talked to david dunworth who's also an an author and um he uh he has quoted you and we talked about that illuminate and you illuminate a lot of people that maybe you don't even know and and it's really how we amplify what other people do. And so I, I'm, I'm just energized by the fact that you're here. So you've got another book that's new. It, it's a, it's a, you've written about brand slaughter. Is that the title? You know, it is. Um, and I was just on the TV news this week talking about that. And it was, it was kind of fun because the guy, he just couldn't get over the title, you know? So, the, the concept is, it's, you know, people that they, they create their brand based upon their values and their brand promise out to the world. And, and they put a check off and they think they're done. And I say, no, don't, don't, don't stop there. You know, because you're either building your brand, you, your employees and everyone else in your organization, you're either building it or you're killing it. Uh, and nothing's neutral. So you're either engaged in brand integrity or you're engaged in what I call brand slaughter, just like manslaughter in the first, second, or third degree. And, you know, we can see or read in the news, people are convicted of manslaughter, but you don't often see people convicted of brand slaughter. Well, maybe in the case of United Airlines and some of these others that have been going around, Price Waterhouse Coopers in front of 30, uh, 33 million people, <laughs> After 87 years of, of great service to the Oscars, uh, they prevented. Well, I don't know if it's brand slaughter. If it is, I think they can recoup from that. However, United Airlines is going to have a hard time recouping from that brand slaughter. Wouldn't you agree? I would. I would. And it's just, it's, it's one that got highlighted. It's just in a series of really dumb things the airline has done. And um, so we're talking to passionate people who are providing amazing value, but we're limited. Uh, we're limited by how people perceive us. I was talking to someone that I was on a radio interview and he said, Oh, there's a charity in my area, but I quit giving because I really wasn't sure what was happening. And that's part of our brand promise, isn't it? Who we are and, and what we stand for. Well, that's exactly right, especially when, when we look at the organizations that part of their charter is to serve others in an amazing way. And, 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 and there's no shortage of people that are in the giving field, be it nonprofit or whatever terminology you want to use. We used to say NFPs and all. But those organizations are carrying a lot of weight of the, for their society. And they're making a promise out there. 
And by and large, they're delivering. However, there are some actions and behaviors that either they're taking or their management or leadership is taking or some of their frontline people are taking, whatever it is, they're taking certain behaviors that are undermining the brand and the promise of the entire organization. And that's wrong and it doesn't have to be that way. Look, I've had great experiences on United Airlines. I truly have. I love Gershwin. So when I hear that music, it puts me in a wonderful state. I've met some wonderful people there. And they're not just a group of dirtbags. However, one person carrying the credibility and reputation of the entire organization blew it and pulled down the asset value of the corporation, the reputation of the corporation, created for great humor, United Airlines, they put the hospital back in hospitality, you know, so, such that Southwest Airlines came out and said, we beat our competition, not our customers, you know, so that kind of stuff is just going to keep going and going and going because of one guy making one bad move. And I want to tell the leaders and managers, supervisors and individuals who are carrying the torch of these organizations to do what I teach in this book, and it's this simple. It's called an ABI, an ABI, an audit of brand integrity. Have every one of your employees take a sheet of paper and write down the values, write down the brand, and then write down the touch points that they have on a daily basis with the individuals that they're touching, a customer, fellow employee, a vendor, everyone who's carrying that brand and look, that individual looks at their touch points and asks themselves, how does the brand live at that touch point? What could I do? What might I do? What should I do? What ought I do to really boost that brand? Because if the organization, let's say United Airlines, we're just picking on them, but I can tell you about three, two of them today alone that I personally experienced, but I'll just focus in on that one. If the CEO had said, folks, this is our brand. We're doing a brand audit. You do that audit. Come back and tell us examples of how that brand is to live in your hands. And maybe even tell us some examples of what you've observed in our organization where we've committed brand slaughter. There's statute of limitations. Nobody's going to get busted, but it helps us to see how the brand is alive and well and being fed and nurtured and supported. And on the other side, by the law of contrast, we could see where we may have fallen down so we don't fall down that hole again. That would be an amazing solution. And I implore everyone who's listening, whether you're running the nonprofit or maybe you're not, maybe you're going to at some point, but now you're a parent or a neighbor or a member of a church or a synagogue. And ask yourself, what is your brand and how are you living that brand as a father, as a mother, etc.? So I think when we get serious about this, you know, we can't solve everything we face, Hugh, but we can solve anything unless we face it. And this is a way of facing the opportunity of building our brand asset value. Now, I sound like a politician. I'm David Corbin, and I endorse that message. That's right. What? Um, your passion is contagious. Our Friend from Hawaii, Eve Hogan is watching on Facebook. Uh, hello, Emmanuel, Karen, Sandy, Shelley, Doyle. We've got a lot of people that we know. Um, so, David, we're, there are 4 million 501c somethings. There's tens, there's sixes, there's threes, there's, there's government organizations. There's all kind of what we call tax-exempt organizations. They're, they're, they're charities, they're social benefit organizations. Um, Russell and I are on a campaign to eliminate the word nonprofit it's rather than defining ourselves by what we're not, which is not correct either. We do need to make profit to, to make things happen, but we are a social benefit organization. We, we, leverage, um, we leverage intellectual property. We leverage passion. We leverage the good works and the products we have for the benefit of humankind. And these non-governmental organizations that, that we represent um, have a, a really a bigger job today, a more important job than ever before. And there's really confusion 
in the, the, the whole branding thing. So I want to back up a minute. We floated a question out there a few minutes ago. Um, how can nonprofits illuminate their brand? But I think it's important for them to know why they even need a brand. And why is it important to be clear about the brand for this? It's true for any organization, but we're talking to nonprofits. And the reason we have really top-level business leaders like you on this series is because we need to understand good, sound business principles to install into these organizations that we lead. So why is branding important? How do we illuminate that in, into the communities that really want to support us but need that information? Well, let's just say this. Whether you like it or not, you have a brand. Whether you know it or not, you have a brand. See, these, these scanners, um, I have a scanner over there. Uh, it's a Hewlett Packard. It doesn't compare to these scanners. I have a computer that we're working through. It doesn't compare to this computer. And everyone is walking around with these scanners and this computer, and everything counts. So whether you acknowledge it or not, you are creating an impression from the eye to the brain to the heart to the soul of who you are and what you're doing whether you believe in it or not. Look, see this here? I don't know whether you believe in gravity or not, but you walk off of any building in any town, in any city, and you're going down. It's an immutable fact, and we all have a brand. Now, thank you for the, the concept of the not-for-profit. Why talk about what we're not? Why not talk about that we are these powers? That's, that's, that was brilliant, by the way, and uh, you open up my thinking and my heart. So I thank you for that, and... I want to let all of my service providers know that everything that you do is creating an impression, whether you believe in it or not. But could you imagine if I come out and I say, well, I want to talk to you about hygiene and uh, how uh, important it is to, you know, I mean, that would be absurd, you know? And, and, or, or now I happen to have a 501c3 anti-bullying. It's called ABLE, Anti-Bullying Leadership Experience. Could you imagine, now, everything that we do is going to be carrying our mojo of the anti-bullying. And now, could you imagine if I start yelling at one of my vendors and really start really pouncing on them and playing some power trip with us? That would be the antithesis of everything. So what I want, the point I want to make is, make believe that you are on the stage of a microscope and you're being observed in everything that you're doing. Because you are. And as soon as the leaders know that, they'll now start looking at things differently. You drive up to the front door, you drive up to the parking lot and you see what the front door looks like. You see how you're greeted and you're sort of catching everything that's going on. As God is my judge, I must tell you, Hugh, you know that I'm putting together a little wedding party uh, for my daughter. Mm -hmm. And I was at two places today one of which the woman didn't show up for the appointment and she needed to call me back and she didn't later. One was a very famous place. Uh, and I'll tell you what it's called. It's called La Berge Del Mar. It's, yeah. it's five star. And when I called to make a room reservation there, I was on for seven and a half minutes before I even found someone. I eventually got to the manager that she called me back and I said, look, I'm going to give you a gift. I would like you to call and try to make a room reservation and get an experience of what that's like. So she did. She called me back. She goes, oh, my goodness, Mr. Corbin, I had no idea. It's because we're not, you see, we need to audit all of these activities and our service organizations, which do not have an unlimited budget, which a lot of corporations might have today. They must be efficient. They must be effective. And the best consultation you can get is from yourself experiencing your deliverable and that which it is you are bringing to the market. So, um, yeah, so, so there. I just think that we don't have a lot of wiggle room for error. There's a wonderful book uh, by Andy Gove who started a little company called Intel. You've probably never heard of it. Um, but Andy wrote a book called Only the Paranoid Survive. Oh. Now, I don't think he's suggesting that we walk around like this, but I think he is suggesting a very strong and deep introspection to what we're doing, 
and how we're doing it. And I think I really want our service organizations, I want to punch that home. Please, please, for the benefit of all those people that you're serving and that you could serve in the future, take this message seriously. Know that you have a brand, live that brand, and make sure that everyone in your auspices knows how they live that brand. Those are wise words. Um, <clears throat> Mr. Uh, Russell Dennis is capturing sound bites. He's, he's very good at picking out things and you've given him a lot, <laughs> a lot of fresh meat today. Um, so, so David, you work with uh, a variety of different kinds of clients, some of whom you and I both know. Um, when you're working with them on building out the whole framework of the organization that they're, they're launching or growing what at what point do you hone in on this brand image brand promise this whole brand identity thing at what point in that process do you do you focus on that aspect well i i believe strongly in begin with the end in mind which is you know it's more than rhetoric it's so if 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 you're a service organization really ask the penetrating questions number one why do we exist and do we need to exist? Who do we serve and how do we serve them? How do we want to be known? What do we want somebody to yell over the fence to their neighbor about our organization? When you have that, you work backwards from that. You see, business planning takes the existing business and it carries it out into the future. But strategic planning, on the other hand, envisions the future and then works backwards uh, from there. So I take a deep dive of visualization. Actually, as you know, I'm a graduate of Woodstock. I was there in 1969. So I could say not just visualization, but hallucination. And really, really hallucinate on how do we want to be known? What are we serving? Why are we serving? I just asked an audience recently at Atlanta and I said, what do you want? And I said, what do you really want? And I say that to businesses as I do strategic planning. Who are you? Who are you really? <laughs> then you know all of that. That's when you contemplate for your brand promise and the reputation that you want to earn because you can't demand it. And then when you do that, you get the confidence to move forward and you now have the grist mill and everything must go through that. Hey, should we do this? How does it bump up against our brand? Hey, should we do that? Great. Tell us how it fits uh, into our brand. When someone does something that is uh, off target, how did that ding our brand? And what can we do to prevent that from happening again? So in direct answer to your question, do this brand audit right from the get go. Uh, I promise you it will, not only does it give individuals a sense of ownership, but it gives them a sense of confidence because nobody wants to mess it up. You know, in Europe, they take the brand asset value to the bottom line. And so when you ding the, the, the brand, you're actually pilfering money from the organization. Isn't that something? Could you imagine if we really own the brand? Look, no one changes the oil in a rent-a-car, right? because they don't have ownership. So when people know what the brand is in their hands, they take ownership. And what happens is, is when you collaborate them, when you collaborate with you people, you breed creativity and commitment. Now they're engaged, they're enrolled. Nothing can stop a service organization with passionate, engaged people. And, and, and that's why I applaud what you're doing, Hugh and Russell. We, um, we have, thank you for that, David. That's such a vivid description of how we can upgrade our performance and upgrade the performance of the organization that we have a huge responsibility for as the leader. And perceiving ourselves as a leader doesn't mean we have to do everything. It does mean we need to be involved in the grassroots of what's going on so we can really know what's actually happening. And what you talked about brings to mind that uh, we, we build relationship with others in the organization. To me, that's the foundation of leadership. 
It's also the foundation of communications because you gave the gift to that hotel manager that she didn't have because she was probably too busy doing the top level things to get into the minutia and figure out, whoa, how do we look to the public? You could go, you could go to any company, any big company in America and do a, help them do an audit, David, and bring them immense value probably within the first 30 seconds of your conversation. Um, so part of what you described is part of this thing that, that you've, uh, the word that you've used, brand slaughter, which is such a brilliant framing of how we as, and everybody in, in, in our mind in CenterVision, everybody in the organization is a leader. We lead from different perspectives and we impact everybody else in the organization. We also represent the brand and we don't know who's going to go wild and like the United Airlines. That was such a terrible thing for everybody, but it highlighted um, an underlying problem and that brand slaughter was what brought it to the fore. And I bet you it's cost United a whole lot of money so far, not to mention future business. So, why, let's take it back to the charities. We're doing um, work that impacts people's lives, sometimes saving people from drug addiction or suicide or insanity. There's lots of really worthy things we're doing. And so you have, we have elements going on that kill the brand. So talk a little, I'd love it when you talk about this brand slaughter thing. So I'd like to put it back in the context of, what we're doing in this, this world of charities and how we need to contain this brand and empower our tribes to represent the brand and not be guilty of brand slaughter. So give us a little more food for thought, especially for charities. And I find I've worked with synagogues, I've worked with churches, I've worked with community foundations, I've worked with semi-government agencies. Uh, I find there's a similarity with everybody that we're just not aware of how the culture is represented by the people and that brand slaughter is committed in minor ways, but sometimes bigger ways. So I'm going to shut up now and let you talk about brand slaughter and why that's take it to another level. Why that's so crucial for our charities. Well, I look at it this way. I believe that the financial results of any organization is largely dependent upon the quality of its people uh, and the clarity of its people. So be it a service organization or otherwise, um, I believe everyone in the organization should create a circle. I don't mean hands holding hands. I mean draw a circle, a wheel with a hub and spokes. And every one of those spokes is an essential core job function for that person. If it's a leader, we know some of the spokes are delegation, communication, strategic thinking, financial management, etc. Those are all spokes. If it's, I don't know, whatever the position is, if it's an operating room nurse or if it's a development manager for a service organization, you create that wheel and you look at the spokes. And when you do, you start rating yourself on those spokes. The hub means you're terrible. And outside at the end is a number 10. That's mastery. And you get real serious with whoever you are, whatever your job is, and you rate yourself on a scale of zero to 10. And where you're an eight or nine, great. Pat yourself on the back. That's really cool. But don't stop there. See, unfortunately, Americans tend to stop at the immediate gratification. Look what I'm doing great. We say no. Focus in on the threes, the fours, and the fives. Set a goal to a six, eight, and nine, and close those gaps. I say that to my brothers and sisters who work in the serious world of service delivery. And I mean, you know, what we would call service providers in not-for-profits or whatever you want to call them. They're doing important work. When you get serious and you rate yourself on a scale of one to 10 in those areas, and you start closing those gaps, magic happens. And you know what the magic is? You start building a momentum of growing yourself. You can't grow an organization unless the individuals are growing themselves. 
You show me an organization that does what I'm talking about, closing the gaps, setting personal goals, and getting more efficient and effective at what they do. I don't care if their building burns down. They could accomplish their mission in a tent. They could do it with dirt floors. They could do it anywhere. You know, we've heard they say, wherever two or more are gathered in his name, there is love. Well, let me tell you, whenever you got a leadership team and a management team that talks about building their people, the only renewable asset in the organization, no matter what happens, they're going to win. And every one of the employees increases their asset value. And you invoke what we call the law of control. People feel good about themselves to the extent they're moving in the direction of their destiny. Their confidence goes up. Their confidence goes up. It's an amazing, you know, people talk about going down the rabbit's hole. Now you're going up this amazing spire into success, achievement, productivity, confidence, peace of mind, self-esteem. I'm passionate about that because I've seen it work. I help it work. I live it myself. And I couldn't talk about it if I didn't live it or else that would be a form of, say it with me, folks, brand slaughter. <laughs> I, can <clears throat> I can validate that. Um, you, you, um, you live out the David Corbin brand. You, you illuminate the brand. And, or you don't do it. You're, you're very serious about being uh, spot on as, as you, sh you show up fully present. Um, I've been doing the, I've been doing the, uh, the German thing. I've been hogging the uh, German ice cream thing. I've been hogging das Mike. I want to, I'm going to let um, Russell come in. Russell, do you have a comment or a question for our guest tonight? <laughs> Well, you know, it's a lot easier to tear a brand apart than it is to put it together. You can, well, look at United. How long have those guys been around? They've been around forever in a day. And in the space of a day, they've torn the whole thing down and trashed a lot of goodwill. So <laughs> it's very easy. And brand is about, it goes beyond the logo. I mean, people think of a logo when they think of a brand, but it's not the logo, it's what's behind the logo that symbolizes something. And I, I'm gonna pull a definition out of a book that a very wise man wrote. The brand as is a tangible expression of top performing culture comes to life when the elements, including the mission, are taken off the wall and put into daily action with all levels and through all individuals in the organization. That's a big mouthful. Who was the wise person that wrote that? Oh, just some guy that's kind of sitting around while we chat. <laughs> <laughs> David Corbin wrote that. <laughs> but yeah, and, and so brand slot, it's just, it's just about being... Uh, to me, it's the ultimate, oh, take my advice, I won't be using it type thing. Just say, this is what we stand for and do something completely different. It shows up. And, you know, I think there are some people out there that just kind of look and they're just scrutinizing and just waiting <laughs> for somebody to make a mistake. I've seen people, they do that. You, you'll run into those type of folks in the supermarket or, or anywhere. And people don't intentionally set out to fail, but it happens. And so these are things that are talked about in that four steps to building a high performance nonprofit course when it's building that foundation. They've been laid all those things out. You know, the time to figure out what your brand is, is right at the outset. Who do, who do we serve? What are we about? What is in our wheelhouse? What do we have? What are we weak at? Where, where, where are our gaps? And I think you've got to really hammer those strengths and work with them. But when you have a gap, that's where your recruiting starts. You recruit your advisors, you recruit your board to plug in those holes, or you look for collaborative partners. But you find a way to do it that, that's going to stick because everything rides on it. So you got to have it all in place. You got to have that solid foundation to start making those plans and do the things that you're going to do first. What are we going to do first? You know, there's a big vision. I've been working with Sue Lee. We had a great uh, conversation yesterday. Uh, I've also been working with Dennis Cole from Rise Beyond Dreams Foundation. 
and we're looking at some potential sponsors. Uh, we, we've got we've got some things that we're going to be doing here really soon that are, are interesting, but we're ready to break out uh, and go out there and be a service to people by, by uh, telling them they don't have to uh, succumb to any bad circumstance that they've had because of an injury or major illness. You can work around that. And so, but that whole brand is, is about living that and, and uh, walking that walk. And he's a pretty courageous young man. I'm proud to be helping him here. Part of but, that, part yeah. of that I'm, I'm sorry, I, I thought that was a period. Part of that courseware you talked about, um, uh, um, David uh, Russell is um, um, helping people um, bring in revenue to their so-called nonprofits or charities. So there's, there's a relevance. Um, uh, Russ, I'd like to get David away in on the relevance of this branding and attracting revenue, the income that we really need. That's the profit that runs our charity. So what's the connection there? And Russell, I'll bring it back to you in a minute, but I, you had illuminated some things there that I wanted to get David away in on. It, it, there's a monetary equivalent to the integrity in our brand that you talked about earlier. Yeah. Um, just as in the strategic planning, you're asking yourself, you know, sort of um, who are we serving and why are we serving and how are we serving them? When we look at the individuals that we're appealing to business development, which is to say, hey, contribute to us. Hey, support us. When we're looking at that, we need to then reverse engineer that. Well, here's what I do in my visualization slash hallucination is why, why are they contributing? What have they contributed to before? What is the real, um, what is, what is it? What are they contributing to? What's going to make them feel good? How do they know they're contributing to the right organization after they contribute so that they might want to contribute again? When you contemplate for the psychology of that, much like looking at who and why people invest into businesses, when you think about those donors, then you know the, the, flavor, the emotional connection. You guys have heard me talk about the mojo factor or the God only knows factor. Well, why are you contributing to them year after year? You know, God only knows. Well, would you consider not contributing to them and contributing to someone else? Absolutely not. Why? God only knows. You see, they're not sure what that emotional connection is, but you know the emotional connection. In my case, with the anti-bullying, we're looking at the ramifications of some of these young souls who've been bullied and how it impacts their lives. And so yeah. individuals who are, who are donating to that, they might have experienced some bullying themselves and they know the pain that they went through and all of the machinations of that throughout their life and all. So we know that. So now we know what the mojo factor is to get that individual to understand who we are, what we do and how and why they might want to invest. Now, when that becomes our brand where they can see it and feel it and taste it and touch it, which is to say there's energy between what we're doing, what we're saying from the, from the logo and the color and our actions and our behaviors and our sounds and everything, then when we've got that going on, we've got this awesome connection. You know, years ago, some of us old enough to know about Ma Bell. Remember Ma Bell? It's <laughs> a phone company. And then a company came in called Sprint, and they wanted to break that God only knows connection, that amazing connection between us and Ma Bell. Ma Bell. And so Sprint came in and said, oh, yeah, or it was MCI. They MCI, said, yeah. Right? And so they said, we're going to beat the price, any price. And Ma Bell came out and said, oh, yeah, we'll make them put it in writing. Well, Ma, Ma Bell, you don't talk like that, Ma. So, and they broke, see, they broke that bond, you see. That's just an example of breaking a bond. And when it comes to our organizations who are listening today, your bond is your, 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 the bond is that promise. And so you don't want to get, and see, the two great things that my, my friend Russell just discussed. Number one is, it's a lot easier to kill a brand than to build a brand. Own, to build a brand. That is so true. And number two, amongst other things that Russell shared with us is, there are some people out there 
and they're looking for you to mess up. There's the individual who's looking for the rabbi to have a ham sandwich. There's the individual <laughs> who's looking for the such and such to look at someone the wrong way. You see, they're looking for that. Why? Because it's easier for them to find fault in others than to take the personal responsibility to build themselves. And so when you know that, don't be paranoid, but be a little paranoid and know they're watching you. Not only are people scanning you from a neutral point of view and those who are scanning you from a positive point of, positive point of view, but there are also those naysayers that are looking for you to be hypocritical. They're looking for you to mess up. And that's why I say have everybody sort of lockstep in knowing what is our promise and behaving that way. You can't go after fund development and not be the brand or you're wasting your time. Whoa, whoa. So Russell, I interrupted you a minute ago. Were you formulating a question? We're, we're two thirds of the way through our interview and the, we can get to some of the nitty gritty. Did, did you have a really hard question to stump our guest with tonight? <laughs> well, there's there's no stumping David. <laughs> but yeah, but yeah, it just follows in with what I was saying that as you the, the fourth step of building a high performance nonprofit is to be able to communicate that value that you bring to everybody you come in contact with. You got people that work in the organization, you got donors, you got people who get your services. You need to know how you do it with all of them. Uh, with people who are working with you internally, you got to set an expectation so that people know exactly what they're signing up for. And understand that you're not everybody's flavor, but you're some people's flavor, you know. And when you talk to, to organizations or donors or people that, that are going to support you, here's the reality of anything that you undertake. There's going to be some sort of risk associated with it. If you walk in and you tell them, well, everything's just going to be peachy, uh, when you're in the service uh, mind frame and you're an entrepreneur, we're just, a lot of times we can be hopeless optimists. And it's been my experience that, that a lot of things take twice the time and twice the money and twice the effort we think they're going to take because we go in with those good intentions. So we have to be fully transparent, especially if we discover that we have uh, some problems or some snags implementing the project. The time to talk about that is as soon as you discover it and look at it and say, well, we may not be quite where we want to be upfront, transparent, it's illuminate as, as David has talked about. That's a book that's on my shelf. I love that book. I read the thing in one sitting because <laughs> I just thought, yeah, you know, a lot of people want to cover up our, our human egos want to make us look good. But when we're in the business of trying to help people with some serious societal problems, got to get the ego out of the way. And that's hard to do. And it makes it difficult to get organizations to collaborate or talk to one another. I've seen a lot of that, too. So my philosophy is that you can get a hell of a lot done if you're not hung up on who gets the credit. So it's uh, it's kind of an uphill climb a lot of times. But I think the landscape is changing a little bit. And people are actually going into business with a social benefit in mind. And they create business structures like the L triple L. C and the, and the B Corp and the benefit corporations. We're seeing a lot of these social enterprises prop up so that people can not only make a profit, but they can do some good. So it's all about uh, doing some good, but there's certain things we got to look at. It's got to be run efficiently and effectively. So it doesn't matter what your tax status is. We have um, people listening to this in the podcast, the Nonprofit Exchange. We're, we're broadcasting this live on Facebook, and people are sending questions and comments in. And uh, you can go to nonprofitchat.org and see the archives and sign in there, and you can review all the history of the three years of these interviews of profound thought leaders like David Corbin. Uh, there's a comment on Iron Thumb on Twitter Doing what you love, loving whom you serve, 
believing in your, that your nonprofit is vital. Uh, I know too many whose hearts aren't in dot, dot, dot. Um, that's interesting. Now, folks who are viewing it on the webinar, if you want to raise your hand or if you want to type into the chat, just highlight the picture and type into the chat if you have a comment or a question, and we'll make sure in our last uh, quarter hour here that uh, we, we tend to those questions while we're live. Face, if you're watching on Facebook, just type it in the comment section. So, so David, you want to respond to Russ before we, we go to the final set of questions here? Well, a couple things that come to mind. Uh, something that you had said earlier, Hugh, and something that Russell just said. Um, I'll, I'll start with Russell. Um, yes, you need to face the issue, um, face a lot of issues. And I look at what happened. Um, happily, there will be lemon coming out of, there'll be lemonade coming out of this lemon on the United Airlines, not for that doctor. Uh, well, they'll, you know, he'll get a huge settlement. That's not what he really wanted. Um, uh, but he'll probably get a huge settlement. But I think the industry is shifting. Now, I read somewhere, I believe it's Southwest Airlines has changed their, uh, their model around overselling seats. So sometimes it takes, you know, it takes this type of a situation for people to learn, and then they shift. A lot of people, they don't really appreciate their life and their family until, God forbid, a near-death experience or maybe a, a, a you know car skidding and, and whatnot, and that's what wakes them up, etc. I say don't practice safety in practice your safety in driving before then. Don't wait for a near hit. <laughs> Start contemplating for your the potential issues or challenges that might happen in your organization before it happens. You see, that's the part of of, of role playing. What could might happen? What, what could possibly happen in this situation? And those are the types of things. Don't be a negative Nelly. Don't, don't, don't get me wrong. But I believe, see, the government has something called Sarbanes-Oxley that says the corporation has the fiduciary responsibility to anticipate, anticipate, predict, and prepare for, let's say, natural disaster, a tsunami, or whatever. Well, that just makes good sense. It makes good sense. You don't have to mandate that to me as a business owner. Of course, if I'm manufacturing a car, I want to make sure that if that person who creates my rearview mirrors goes down, I'm still going to be able to meet the needs of my organization, my shareholders, my staff, my employees. Of course, I'm going to do that. I don't need regulation for that. For crying out loud, I don't even need Americans with Disabilities Act, which is to create a reasonable accommodation for persons with disabilities. But crying out loud, that's just good sense. It's just good sense. Plus, it's the right thing to do. But be that as it may, be that as it may, we need to face the issue before it happens. And oh, by the way, be prepared for facing the issue after it happens. So, Mr. Chairman, Mr. President of United Airlines, anticipate if a problem goes down, how are you going to handle it? Don't be saying he was only following procedure. There was a guy in Nazi Germany who used to say that too. I was just following the procedure. I hate to make an extreme example, but I make the point. Yeah. Following procedure. Following procedure, pulling a guy off, breaking his teeth, and now come on. And to say, well, no, that's just ridiculous. So what PricewaterhouseCoopers did, what Pricewaterhouse did, after they had a big brouhaha, you know, in front of 33 million people, they had 83 or 87 years of doing the job really well. And what happened after that example, they, they came back and they apologized. They sent a letter. They didn't say that it was his fault. It was his. They said mea culpa, kind of like the Japanese corporate executives in, in the airlines. If a plane goes down, those people resign. They take personal responsibility. But what Pricewaterhouse did is they said it's our responsibility and we apologize. We are looking into it. We want to congratulate those people on camera, including Jimmy Kimmel, for handling it elegantly, even bringing a little humor into it. We apologize from the bottom of our hearts. I'm paraphrasing here. And we will get to the bottom of this and we'll let you know what happened so it never happens again. You see, that ding wasn't brand slaughter. It was kind of like getting a ticket for tinted windows or a light being out. And I believe that we're going to forgive them after a while. Um, 
but it's going to be hard to forgive United Airlines after they eschewed responsibility and they took that really, really cheap ticket out, you see. So um, I'm just sort of piggybacking off of some of the comments that you had made earlier, and I think it's just an important point. Anticipate what can go wrong. Doesn't require legislation for that. It requires common sense. And then practice. You know, you practice so it comes out naturally. Sir Lawrence Olivier said the key to acting is spontaneity. And spontaneity is the result of long, hard, tedious practice. <laughs> so I say practice. Um, I, I could hear you talk all night, David. I think people won't be with us that long. Um, Emmanuel out in New Mexico says, love it, love it. He puts thumbs up. Renee uh, Shaw in uh, Salt Lake City is watching this with her board. Um, so there are some people who uh, are listening to you with, with uh, lots of focus. Um, Bill Davis in, in um, Phoenix is doing some things to help people get back into the workforce with uh, his charity, Team Vision, and he's working in conjunction with Center Vision and with Jobonomics. So these are, um, these are words that I think we can all reframe our own leadership. And the, the fourth question that we threw out for people to think about is, is from the leadership position. And, and in my, my 40 years of conducting, um, I know that what, what the orchestra and the choir sees is what I get. So the culture is a reflection of our leadership. So representing the brand internally helps them represent the brand externally. So my question to you in this, this whole spirit of illuminating, I don't know about you, but I find some leaders that have more blind spots than they do have awareness of some of the impact they're having on the brand <laughs> internally and externally. So how do leaders keep, but you, you can do your own inventory, but I, I think we can't do our own inventory. We need to illuminate with some sort of outside impartial person asking us the hard questions. So David, how can a leader, especially one that's been in a position for a while, how do we keep it fresh? How do we illuminate our own representation of our brand internally and externally? I think it's all about integrity and, um, Integrity, it's a powerful word. It's a word that's bantered around, it's thrown around, but integrity, the leader living the values of the business. I can't ask you to do what I'm not willing to do. I'm being, you know, they say that the, one of the biggest sports in life, I think, is soccer, but I don't think that's true. I think the biggest sport in life is boss watching. <laughs> and I think seriously I really think they set the, the culture they set the pace and to the extent that they are lead, leading with honor and integrity integrity with the values and the behaviors and all you know I um, <laughs> I talk about illuminate face it follow it and fix it and I realized um, one time getting out of the shower instead of running past the mirror i kind of stopped and they didn't quite like what what i saw and i saw a guy who was 40 to 50 pounds overweight and i thought my goodness how dare i go out there and talk about illuminate and face it follow fix it if i don't face it and i faced it and i'm asking everyone every leader to face face are you living in integrity. Well, I followed it and found out why I was gaining weight. <laughs> I, was, I was having a glass of wine at night or maybe two and it brought my blood sugar down and I'd eat anything that was there. Oh, there's sardines and chocolate syrup, looks great, you know. <laughs> and, then, and, and then I'd go to sleep and I didn't realize I was actually training to be an athlete. Uh, you see, there's an athlete that they feed alcohol at night and they get a lot of food and they make it go tell it to go to sleep. And that athlete is called a sumo wrestler. So I was training to be a sumo wrestler. Mm. And I, mm. I couldn't be a leader of Illuminate and be that hypocritical. So the fix it was, was to take small steps and to make some, some transformation and all. And I asked my leaders, my brothers, my sisters, who are leaders, to get serious. I walked into an association that has to do with diabetes 
and I saw a big Coke machine there. Oh, man. Um, I look at some of our organizations that are in the health org, and they're not healthy. I did a lot of work with a company. I won't tell you the name of it, but it rhymes with Schmeister Permanente. <laughs> and they're talking about, they're talk, I think Russell just figured out where I was going there. But they're, they're, talk, they're talking about their model is called Thrive. And I look at some of their employees and they're out of integrity. And I say, don't talk about Thrive. You're better off saying nothing. Because when I see the word thrive and I see people that are grossly unhealthy, I know you're hypocritical. And I wonder where else you're cutting corners. And I don't like that. You see, everything counts. Everything counts. I scan. I think. I feel. Maybe below the lineman of consciousness. But if it's not an integrity, I'm not donating my time or my money to you. I'm going to move on to someone else who is. Any business, any organization, the leader must lead by example. And when she falls down, she says, mea culpa. You know what? I fell down. I apologize for that. Here's my plan. The vulnerability, you see, the feminization of business today is so important mm -hmm. because authenticity comes with that and a lot of drive. And when we have the character to say, whoops, I messed up. Wow, that's a, that's a big difference. So, and that's leadership. Leadership is real. Oh, vulnerability, authenticity. These are just words. No, yeah, they're being overused and they're being bantered, but they're real. They're real. Get serious about that. You're preaching our song. We, we preach that uh, leadership is influence and we get to choose if we influence positively or negatively. Um, those are good parting words, but I'm going to give you a chance to do a, a, a wish or a thought or a tip for people as we leave. But I, I want to um, recognize that they can go to davidcorbin.com. We have notes from today that will be on uh, nonprofitchat.org. Nonprofit chat, nonprofitchat.org. We keep an archive, and Russ has been very diligent in grabbing some of your wonderful sound bites. David Corbin leaps over tall buildings, and does he? Do you really run a five k every Sunday? Every Saturday when I'm in town. My goodness! And you, um, you went to Woodstock. You know who else was there? My David. brother David Gruder. Yes, it was at Woodstock. You and I are, are contemporaries. I'm a little more contemporary. I'm a little older than you are. And I've never had anybody on this interview series that could take a little clip out of Gershwin's Rhapsody in Blue. Give us a little soundbite from that last section of Rhapsody in Blue. This is a he's a he's a modern day Renaissance man with many many skills. David Corbin, you are indeed a blessing to a lot of people. But tonight, to Russ and, and me for sharing this great stuff with uh, so many charities and you'll hear this live on uh, the podcast nonprofit chat and you can see the archive on uh, I mean the nonprofit exchange is the podcast excuse me nonprofitchat.org is the archive for the videos so as we're winding up this uh, really powerful interview David what's a parting thought or a tip that you'd like to leave with these amazing leaders are making such a difference in people's lives well i would express my gratitude for for their passion for their hard work it's difficult today service organizations it seems as though they're being told they got to jump through hoops and then they make the hoops smaller <laughs> then they set the hoops on fire it's not easy it's not easy we need to attract people to volunteer and to donate and to work to do our noble mission so every morning i wake up my hands and knees are on the ground like my muslim brothers and i give thanks and gratitude every single morning every morning and so i want to give gratitude to those of you who are taking taking the rain in doing this amazing work uh this social work and i thank you for that and i hope um no I, I deeply hope that some of these ideas might help you in being more effective, more efficient, uh, and more joyous and confident in what you do. Thank you for what you do. David Corbin, 
um, special words indeed. Thank you for sharing your wisdom with so many people and your words will live on. So thank you so much for being with us. Thanks, brother. You can hear more from David Corbin and others in this Nonprofit Exchange series by reading their articles in Nonprofit Professional Performance 360 magazine. Get your copy, subscribe for free, nonprofitperformance.org. Thank you. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.